Hello and welcome to the Ask the Geographer podcast series from the Department of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society with IBG. I'm Harry. In each podcast, I'll meet geographers from around the world to ask them about topical events, timely publications and geographical research. In this podcast, we're talking to Andrew Jack. As a journalist for the Financial Times since 1990, Andrew has worked as the paper's Paris correspondent, Moscow correspondent, and the bureau chief up until 2004. Since then, he's written about health and pharmaceuticals and is currently the global education editor for the paper. And he runs the FT for Schools initiative. Andrew, can we start with your geography background, what you studied, why and where? Yeah, so I uh, grew up in the south of England. I did A-levels in geography, economics and maths, as well as general studies. Um, I was always really inspired by geography, so it was kind of my first choice of subject. Um, The teachers were great, the subject areas. I always had a real passion for uh, particularly international affairs, what was going on abroad, and sort of, you know, the big sectoral issues, including even at that stage, um, climate-related issues and and human geography in particular. Um, I always enjoyed traveling as well. Um, And so it was a very strong compliment and almost no doubt that I wanted to and, and then applied to and got a place to read geography at Cambridge. So um, it was very much my my passion and my sort of intellectual background and, and, you know, it was also a great platform for continuing to explore current affairs, international affairs, um, to travel and to write and research. During a recent fellowship with the Reuters Institute, your interests were listed as curation, uh, human judgment and impact in journalism. Is that is that still accurate? Well, so there was a after many years of basically writing and reporting in the UK and different countries around the world uh, based there or traveling there. Um in the in the mid 2010s, I started to get involved in some wider journalism projects where we were launching new services and ideas, and we were adapting ever more to uh, online reporting. And as part of that, I went to as a, on a fellowship to the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism at Oxford, and I was very interested in sort of digging deeper into. A sort of a wider existential journalistic issue, if you like, which is this huge explosion of information in the world, many, many different sources, many more than people used to have access to. How do readers with a very limited amount of time uh, try to kind of wade their way through the information overload? And so I kind of created this role as what we called head of curation. And it was really all about that. Sort of basically, we're publishing dozens, hundreds even sometimes of pieces of content every day. So many others are too. Very few people can identify all of them and have the time to read them. So the idea was that we would create these distillations of content around themes by sector, by geography, by topic, um, bring in the sector or the geographical specialists around those themes and provide a selection of content by week or by day or by month that would allow busy readers to just say, here's you know the essential reading list, here are the big themes that matter, here are some of the underlying issues around it. So that idea of curation was really important. And of course, it was also coming at a time when um, 
increase in the algorithms were starting to sort of draw away from the traditional role of the newspaper editor in making their human selection. So instead, you got Apple News, you got Facebook streams, uh, all sorts of other um, edtech solutions that were essentially sucking away from the human editorial judgment of individual media outlets and saying, let the computer, let the algorithm, let the wisdom of the crowd select the stories that matter to you. And so I was also interested in a response to that and how far human editorial judgment and actually serendipity should continue to play a role. Because I think often, you know, the power of the traditional newspaper is alongside the thing that you think you're interested in or the topic that you type in in the search engine. It's the things in your peripheral region that catch your eye that an editor says, this is also important, even if it's not something you imagined is important. Um, and so that idea of serendipity was also really important and, and part of my research. And then the third area, as I say, yeah, was around impact. And I think, um, of course, journalism still and should play an incredibly important role in informing and entertaining and holding power to account. And I think one really important issue is kind of trying to understand and measure and respond to the different ways in which journalism does play a really important public service role. And so trying to understand its wider impact is really important. So those are definitely kind of core underlying themes interesting to me and I think interesting for the future of the media globally. We've already mentioned your work as the Moscow correspondent and you've written a book about the country called Inside Putin's Russia. Is uh, Russia your specialism? Well, Russia is one of my specialisms. I mean, I studied uh, when I was at school, I did a, then an O-level in Russian. Um, uh, I studied a little bit of it during my geography courses at university. And when I graduated at the start of the 1990s, Russia, the collapse of communism, if you like, the reshaping of not only Russia and the former Soviet space, but also its huge influence and tentacles around the world in Africa, in Latin America, in Asia, and so on. It was the journalistic story. And so I was very drawn linguistically, culturally, intellectually, in terms of the geographical and political trends to that part of the world. So yes, it was certainly an area of big focus and interest, and it's an area I continue to follow and be engaged with in different ways. But equally, I was in France for four years. That was a fascinating period. And then since returning to the UK in the mid-2000s, uh, I've continued to have a real global focus, so traveling a lot in parts of Africa, in uh, the global south, as well as uh, richer countries of, of Asia and uh, America and so on. So, yes, it's one of one of several, and you continue to see the, the context and the interrelationships between these different countries and regions and interest groups, and that's definitely a, a passion of mine. And it features, of course, in the A-level geography spec uh, for superpower geographies and for exploring oceans in the edXL and OCR exam boards. Um, can we move to talking about your current role at the FT um, and what the FT for Schools initiative is? Yes. Yeah, so as a journalist at the FT, uh, as a reporter, you either tend to have a geographical focus being based in a country or a region and reporting on it. And we have many of those correspondents around the world. And that was one of the reasons I was very keen to join the FT and that I've stayed. Or you tend to follow a sector. So as I said, I followed the health uh, sector, pharmaceuticals and so on. Um, I still do a little bit around that, but my primary focus now is indeed education. So in 
all its aspects for all age groups. Of course, um, preschool or during school, higher education, but also more vocational and technical further education. And also the idea of lifelong uh, learning, which is a ever more important uh, area. So I try to look at the big trends, look at what's happening in different countries, the different approaches that different systems are taking to it, what learning really means and how it needs to evolve, and also the intersection with nonprofit groups, with the private sector, these huge businesses, ed tech companies and others that are providing systems, trying to look at international networks of schools that we see increasingly and the flows of students in school and particularly in higher education around the world. So a huge number of different trends to report on. And then because we are the FT and I write a lot on uh, business education and one big project I'm involved with at the moment is trying to um, identify, showcase, even try and tease business school research and teaching and operations to think more about um, the sustainable development goals around social impact, around climate change and what their obligations and focus should be around that. And then separately, I help oversee uh, a program the FT launched three years ago now, which is offering pretty much full free access to FT content to students aged 16 to 19 and their teachers and their schools around the world to try to showcase and help provide relevant up-to-date insights into their classwork, their research, their exams and tests and their transition to the next stage in life post-school. You've covered a, a range of desks by the sounds of it at the FT. How have you maintained your interest in geography throughout these different stages and parts of your life? Well, I think, uh, you know, the thing that always drew me to geography remains core to my focus today. And of course, you know, you can't talk about I don't know, international migration, about um, the crisis over access to water, around um globalization, big economic uh, trends, uh, policy issues such as the recent uh, coup d'etat in Myanmar, um, or climate change as a real existential issue for this and future generations without seeing the value of geography. As I say, these were things that we were discussing in different ways uh, when I was at school, when I was studying at university. They've they've only become, I think, more relevant, that sort of growing realisation of, first of all, the need to understand trends and events that are taking place elsewhere in the world and how they relate to your own life, and seeing those incredible interconnections, whether they're environmental and part of the physical world or whether they're about human and economic trends. So really in everything I've done, I think I've tried to always think about the bigger picture, about the kind of the trends and drivers and how they interrelate, about the um, the connections between humans and their environment and those broader forces. And so, I mean, actually one of the first stories I ever wrote when I joined the FT was I attended the uh, Institute of British Geographers conference and generated a whole series of stories, of course, about big issues then, um, which sort of helped, I think, sort of indicate also to the FT the value of that intersection of geographical trends and research and its applications to the real world. And that continues to be um, a theme in my reporting. I'm always trying to think about, you know, well, this is interesting what's happening in the UK, but how does that play out in South Africa or what's taking place in India or in China that might intersect with these themes? So, you know, without um, 
being perhaps overly uh, obsessed with the theories, if you like. I think the practice of geography and those sort of lessons remain really central and I think increasingly important to the FT and to to other uh, media outlets. And quite uniquely, you work closely with other colleagues who also have a geography background. Can you tell us how and why you collaborate with them? Yes, I mean, there's no um, <laughs> secret society or formal gathering, um, but it, but it's certainly true. That I've discovered this, you know, by chance over the years. But a number of my colleagues, including our current political editor, for example, and including um, John Basmardock, one of our leading data journalists were themselves geographers by background. And it's perhaps not surprising given our interests and the alignment with the FT and the evolutions of big trends in the world that a lot of those skills are coming together. Um, And in the same way that um, reporting and researching and editing and identifying some of those big topics that we've talked about is important. Uh, Of course, John represents also that kind of increasing focus on data journalism, trying to understand information that's out there, draw it in and use it not only to inspire and influence and inform traditional text writing, if you like, but also thinking about new ways to present data sets visually um, and in interactive forms. And that's become a huge topic, for example, during uh, the coronavirus crisis where he's overseen uh, real-time data looking at the spread of infection around the world to try and present it in a compelling way uh, globally, nationally, regionally, and then look at the intersections, look at different sort of underlying drivers of mortality, look most recently at, for example, the the spread out of vaccinations around the world. So wherever, wherever there's data, wherever there's a geographical implication, I think we're more and more interested as a media organisation in trying to capture and present and analyse that in ways that are useful and relevant to readers. And certainly in terms of the um, readership numbers that we see, there's a huge appetite from our readers and others to engage with that sort of content too. And am I right in saying that the data journalism and visualisation that's done at the FT is, is clustered under the graphics page? on your website? Well, that's certainly one place you can, you can get hold of it. I mean, if you go to ft.com slash forward slash graphics, for example, you'll see all of our um, visual journalism. We have a number of uh, sort of interactive data sets. For example, we've done for a number of years uh, poll trackers to try to identify, for example, around the Brexit referendum, around uh, UK elections in the US and some other big uh, countries. Um trying to understand all the different polls that are out there and help readers interpret likely outcomes. As I say, we've done it with coronavirus with a number of data sets. We've got another one looking at the economic impacts around the world. And we're using a lot of data you can get, for example, on mobile phone usage to track footfall in shopping centres to see how far people have been um, respecting lockdowns, um, trying to understand uh, all sorts of wider trends, as I say, about um what the pharmaceutical industry has been doing, for example, looking at the pipelines of new drugs, all of that really, really important. And um, people can come to it through all sorts of ways. You can go to our website, you can look at those links, you can Google it um, and add in ft.com and you'll see the rich variety of of content that we're providing around those areas. But certainly visualisation, graphics, um, data sets, tools that you can interrogate in different ways are, of course, becoming more and more important. 
Some people might think that the FT is just about finance and business. In fact, I, I can confess to thinking that in the past. Uh, what's your view on that, uh, bearing in mind everything that you've just said, and how is it relevant to the school community? Well, I, you know, um, how many people uh, know or think about BBC and what the underlying British Broadcasting Corporation is in the same way I'd think of it, not as Financial Times, but as the FT. Um, you know, in a sense, the letters shouldn't matter. Um, the underlying values should. And that's around high quality reporting from around the world, driven by evidence and data. Um, and it's true that, you know, investors, those in the financial community want that information. They're not actually themselves obsessed with politics or ideology, they need objective information to make decisions, you know, whether they should expand a, a factory or a new launch a new product in a different part of the world, how they should try to assess the political risk around um, the evolutions of the US or what's happening in Southeast Asia or the expanding role of China, for example. So they, while they might have a, a focus around investment of their own money around their organizations and so on. Um, it's it's a broad set of insights that they're looking for that has a wider appeal, a much wider appeal. And therefore, both our content goes much wider than markets or business and finance to cover politics and policy and social issues, geopolitical risk around the world. For that reason, it also attracts a much wider readership of policymakers, politicians, decision makers in government and in the nonprofit sector, as well as in corporations. So it's that much wider reader set that we're trying to appeal to with our content, and which also kind of provides and makes the FT a very powerful forum for debate and insight and opinion from many different parts of society all around the world. And then, of course, alongside those those core issues I've talked about, you know, the issues that matter, if you like, to decision makers. As you know, we also have um, a very rich selection of stories around our weekend content, in particular around arts, around culture, even around sport. So it's a very broad mix, the FT, both in terms of uh, content in the traditional form of articles, but also podcasts, um, video, online events, a wide range of, of formats and a huge range of content that I think has a, a real global appeal to people, whatever their background or interests. Recently, we've run a school's essay competition with the FT. I, of course, already know a bit about it, Andrew, but could you give us a brief overview? Yes, I mean, it's, it's great to partner with the with the RGS. Uh, so, Two years ago, we had a first student essay competition, which was entitled Is Wealth or Equality Better? And then uh, last year, our second version, uh, we tried to say, give us the geographical story behind a data set with a focus around the environment. And we had a great winning essay about uh, the growth in plastics around the world and what to do about it. Um, and we're looking forward to, to following through on this partnership uh, with, with an exciting new competition in the, in the weeks ahead. So watch this space. We, we want as many people as possible to enter and bring their geographical skills to uh, a much wider audience. You clearly can't go through the whole catalogue of resources um, in the FT, but could you recommend three articles a listener might start to explore with some interesting geographical themes? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, we can always talk about individual articles and there's been some great stuff out there. I mean, we've got a, um, a, a kind of 
electronic game, actually, which uh, puts you in the place of a Uber driver and allows you to kind of simulate what that experience is like, you know, the kind of the hours that you work, the pressures coming in, the different requests. Um, so that's quite a fun resource. Uh, I mentioned earlier the vaccine tracker and our wider uh, regularly updated interactive data sets that allow you to look at the progress of coronavirus infection, the economic impacts, and um, now the vaccine rollout, for example, in real time almost, and trying to understand how it's playing out in different countries. So that's a real great resource. Um, we talked about the Climate Hub, of course, and I'd also say if you go to ft.com forward slash video because there's great short and snappy videos of all sorts around the world that are worth looking at. But then of course we can't finish without talking about the schools program. And again, ft.com forward slash schools is a sort of central hub where you can go to uh, look at a lot of our content where it's published, wider resources for students, competitions that we organize regularly, including with the RGS of course. Um, and then also um, resources for teachers, so ideas on articles that teachers themselves have picked and would flag up and provide certain discussion points or classroom questions that could be the beginnings of a way to trigger a wider lesson relevant to whatever course they're teaching. And you can also follow that through our FT4S uh, Twitter page as well, where you can see a lot of our content as well as a place that we encourage students and teachers alike to flag up FT articles that they find relevant and explain why and trigger a debate around them. Brilliant. Thank you for joining us today, Andrew. To finish, is there anything else uh, for students to be aware of or any other URLs for them to navigate towards? Well, I mean, clearly the RGS uh, is, a, is a wonderful resource and, and uh, we, like others, have been very keen to partner uh, with you. So that's, that's obviously a great place to go. I think, um, you know, at the moment, there's, there's a huge explosion, of course, in online resources that are available and it's quite challenging for people to, um, to focus around them. But I think, uh, you know, anything, and of course I'd say the, the FT is part of this, that is a way for people to... Um, look for fresh, up-to-date, relevant applications of what they've been learning through textbooks in the classroom in formal lessons. I think uh, both examiners and interviewers, whether for university or moving into the world of work, and then longer term for people progressing in their careers and their lives, I think the more that people can identify relevant, up-to-date information, follow current affairs, dig beneath the surface of the headline and, and look at the underlying trends and data sets and opinions, the better. So I think really it's about being open-minded and agnostic, trying to find high-quality outlets and follow your imagination a bit to try to dig deeper and research ideas and think how they can apply in, in your lives and work. That's great advice. Thank you very much for joining us today, Andrew. Great pleasure and thanks for all your work. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the Ask the Geographer podcast series on iTunes and SoundCloud.com. Be inspired and stay informed with the Society's wide range of resources, many of which are free. School membership unlocks access to other excellent resources, including online lectures and many other tailor-made benefits for teachers and students. Access our resources at www.rgs.org schools.